trying here. <laughs> but uh, today is the last day to turn these in, all right? So someone will ask me before we leave, when are those due? Now, all right? So go home, leave, leave come back. No, I'm kidding. Cut. But bring them in, all right, today. If you got a special circumstance, you can see me, talk to me, and uh, I'll berate you about it and still get it. No, I'm just kidding. But thank you guys for doing it. We've got a ton of them up here, and uh, so grateful. Each one of them is full and uh, full of love and uh, grateful for that. But I want to remind you of a couple quick things. Um, our prayer initiative is still going on through December 31st. We've got some dates and some evenings and things, especially starting in December, um, uh, to, to sign up for. We'd love for you to be a part of it. We encourage, of course, everybody, encourage everybody to, to be praying for our church and the future and all of that. Uh, but we do ask that you'd sign up if you'd like to, just to have some accountability, look back and see, hey, look at what God has done. And I want to tell you, in a week and a half so far, God has already done great things. God has done encouragement. God has used some folks. God has answered prayer. And I believe God's going to continue to do uh, the same thing. Uh, now, this Tuesday, the 23rd, and we're going to be having our Thanksgiving service. So we'll have a, uh, a short uh, Thanksgiving devotional. And then we're going to have an opportunity for everyone who wants to give uh, thanks uh, to be able to do so. Give testimony of the Lord's goodness and faithfulness in their life. And um, if you don't have anything to say, well, then you're just not thankful. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But come. I encourage you to come. Uh, there is nothing quite like listening to what God is doing in different people's lives to remind you that God is still very much at work in your own. And I believe it'll be an encouragement and a blessing to you. Then as well, there's a sign-up sheet at the back for Saturday, December the 11th, the young adults. It doesn't say how young young adults are, but you can use your best guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, young adults, ugly Christmas sweater party at Noah and Kaylin McMillan's home. There's a sign-up sheet for different foods to bring. So if you're a young adult or self-identify as a young adult, I don't know. Um, sign up back there and hope, hope you can come. Then as well, I've uh, been asked by a few folks about starting up the card ministry again. This is for those who would like to be able to be on the call, to be able to send out uh, cards to people who are in need. Um, if you would like to be a part of that, even if you've already signed up before, sign up again. All right, start new and fresh. We've got a sign-up sheet back there. And your phone number must be included, and it must be able to receive text messages. All right, that is highlighted and bold, I think. So if you want to be a part of that, please help out. And uh, we appreciate you guys. But I'm thankful for today and uh, grateful to have you guys with us. I want to open up in prayer this morning. And then uh, we're going to worship the Lord today. That's why we're here. Uh, let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. I thank you for each one that's here. And, and Lord, today as we gather, help us to do so with hearts and, and uh, minds that are cleared and prepared to worship you and to give you glory and honor which you deserve. God, you're the reason why we're here today, Lord. Uh, we, we pray and come before you as, as needy people, asking for a touch in this service, Lord, individually, corporately. And God, that you would do great and mighty things in us and through us. Lord, today, that you would uh, reach down and touch hearts, Lord, that you would draw us uh, closer together and closer to you. And Lord, as we're approaching the busyness of uh, the holidays and everything, Lord, help us not be so busy that we forget uh, to, to pray and, and to pause and reflect on your goodness, to be thankful and grateful for all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that today, that as we are about to sing, Lord, that we would sing with hearts of thanksgiving, with hearts that are full and ready to worship you. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we give this time over to you now. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. If you're able, please stand as we begin our 
worship in song and music. Thank you. Thankful for a piano player. God bless you, Joanne. Thankful for the sound people. Thankful for the heifers here to help us sing. Thankful for you all. God bless you. It's good to be back with you. First Chronicles 16.34 says, Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy today and forever, for his mercy endureth forever. God is so good, 193. God is so First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven, God giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory in Jesus, hymn number three fifty three. I heard an old old story how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life. He has built for me in glory. 
49.1. Praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song and his praise in the congregation of the saints. Praise him, praise him. Number 12. Praise him, praise him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. Sing, oh, earth is wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangels in glory. Strength and honor into his holy name. sing praises unto the Lord uh, before you are seated look around wave and say hello to everybody and make everybody feel welcome and act like it whether you mean it or not no I'm just kidding act like you're glad to see everybody okay <laughs> just poking a little fun there all right now we have some special music one that I always look forward to and I know you too do too is Tony Hicks singing a special here today Appreciate him. <laughs> yeah, Tommy. Got one thing I told
and joy and the soul never dies and roses bloom in there for me where the soul of man never dies and I will spend eternity where the soul never dies dear friends there will be no sad farewells there be no tear damned eyes where all is love and peace and joy and the soul never dies Join with me in prayer as we ask God to meet with us. Lest he does, this is all in vain. So we want to meet with Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. Please join with me as we bow. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this day, another day you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. It's new every day. Without your mercies, Lord, we couldn't make it. And we praise you and thank you from the bottom of our heart for your daily mercies. Thank you, Lord, for a place that we can attend and gather together and assemble uh, out of the cold. And thank you, Lord, that for the number that's turned out. We ask, Lord, you just uh, bless in our worship here today. May every song, every word spoken, Lord, bring honor and glory to you and Lord it, it would be in a worshipful attitude toward one that is worthy and Father we ask Lord you would just uh, bless our pastor fill him with your spirit Lord and, uh, and use him in a great and mighty way here today as your mouthpiece and give him the words and the thoughts and the speech Lord to preach the message that you've laid on his heart and just help him, Lord, and help us to receive it with gladness. And, Lord, help us to be attentive as he preaches your wonderful word. And, Lord, uh, help us all, Lord, to be changed. Lord, as we go out of this place here today, we'd go out different than we come in, a better, a better child of yours, Father, and we'd be drawn closer to you. And, again, we thank you for this opportunity to be here today. And we just ask all these things in Jesus Christ, our Savior's name. Amen. Okay, please stand as we sing one more song here. More precious than silver. 
Thou art my Lord, apart from thee I have no good thing. Psalm 16, 2. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Please be seated. Thank you all so much. Now let's give our pastor a nice hand as we enter into probably the most important part of the service, the preaching of God's Word. Sorry about all the microphone noise there. Appreciate you guys this morning and appreciate the songs sung today and the worship lifted. At this time, any uh, children's uh, ages four to six for children's church, y'all can be dismissed. Ages four to six for children's church. Y'all can be dismissed. They're coming. We got a couple of them. <laughs> All right. And for the rest of you guys, I want to thank you guys uh, for being here and for uh, uh, just grateful to have folks to come and, and, and to preach to and to worship the Lord with. Uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Nehemiah chapter number two. Nehemiah chapter number two. I know that's where we were last week, but there's a reason. All right. We're going to be a lot in the book of Nehemiah today. Um, Lord willing, we're going to cover a good bit, but today we're moving along in our series, what it means to be a wall builder. This Nehemiah wall building program that looked, uh, that, that we've got to look at, I think we've got to understand, especially as we as a church are moving forward, and I want you to understand that that is where we're going. Where the destination is, the final one is heaven, <laughs> but next year and the year after and the year after, all I know is it's forward. And that's a hard thing because we don't always know exactly where we're going or what exactly it's going to look like, but we do know we're going to get there when we get there. But I know that we need to keep pressing forward and what that looks like. And we've talked about what it means to, to, to pray and the importance of that. We've talked about uh, the, the importance of, of having this sort of plan together and, and all of these things so far and what it means to participate together, how the people, as we're going to see in just a moment to remind ourselves, it's them that say, let us rise up and build after hearing what God is doing in the heart of Nehemiah and what God is going to do uh, through them. But I read, want to read for us today in chapter number 2. I want to read verse number 10, and then we're going to skip down uh, to 17. It says in verse number 10, eh, let me get back up verse 9. I'm going to keep backing up, right? <laughs> verse number 9. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. 
Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was a man come to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And we go on down to verse number 17. And I said unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, and how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was, a, a, was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanbout the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that ye do? Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore, we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this time. I thank you for the songs lifted. And God, I pray that now that you would prepare our hearts for your word. God, open up our hearts as we open up your word now. God, I pray that you would strengthen my mind and my heart this morning. Lord, for this message that you would guide me, direct me, fill me. Allow me to preach what you would have me uh, to say and what we need, God. That we would be receptive to it. That we would be changed by it. And Lord, that you would be glorified through it. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen. The third portion of this, uh, this uh, series that we're dealing with today is the idea that we've got to persevere. We've got to press on. To persevere means that things aren't going good, or sometimes they might not be going good, but we keep on keeping on, right? We keep on moving forward. There was a man by the name of Thomas Edison. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Thomas Edison, right? couple of you. All right. So Thomas Edison, he, he's often called the father or the inventor of the light bulb. We use those things pretty often. Matter of fact, there's several of them in here today, right? There's a few of them probably at your house. And, and we especially like that one that they stuck in the little refrigerator so we can see where our food's at. But light bulbs are important things. Now, I would love to tell you, and I'm sure Thomas Edison would have loved to have told his kids, grandkids, it only took me one shot and I got it. Matter of fact, it didn't. He couldn't say that. Over a thousand failed attempts until he finally got it right. Thomas Edison is quoted in saying, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. You see, you and I are so quick, so easily discouraged, so easily distracted, so easily dismayed, so, so easily divided that we quit long before we get to the place where we're meant to be. You and I get so bogged down with everything else that we, we fail ourselves because we decide well, we can't go no further. I think about the nation of Israel throughout their history, and as we come to a place like Nehemiah, they had already gone through so much, but I remember a point in a time where they had gone through this journey, had been delivered from Egypt, and God had done everything that he had done by, the, by his own hand and by a, a truly a miraculous fashion. They get to the edge of the promised land and they go, well, that's far as we can make it, right? And there's giants over there. Yeah, but there's also a, a land flowing with milk and honey and the promise of God that was going before them and the presence of God that was with them. And so they had every reason to move forward, but instead it would send them into a place of, of 40 years of wandering in wilderness. I firmly believe that much of our own hearts and homes and, and many of our own churches are in a place of wandering in wilderness because we have 
been just there, just on the, the cusp of, of receiving what God has, just on the cusp or the brink of revival, but we've been discouraged because there's been some opposition. I, I want you to know, if you want God to move in your life and in this church, expect opposition. As a matter of fact, for every good thing that God is doing, Satan is trying to do a thousand things to come against it. He's trying to find a way to get in here. As a matter of fact, he is very much uh, sending uh, his presence as much as he can to every church this morning as possible. Right now, he wants to distract you and discourage you and to divide you up so that he can try to devour you up and conquer you and to keep you from moving forward. The devil, I would say, doesn't even mind that church doors are open. He just doesn't want the name of Jesus to be lifted up. The devil doesn't care that you meet as long as you don't get filled up by the Word of God and the Spirit of God and, and the Gospel of God and, and go and, and to tell somebody about how good Jesus is. The devil doesn't even care that you wear the nicest clothes and come here and maybe even sing the loudest or give the most just as long as you get nothing spiritually from it and that nothing good of God takes place. The devil does not care that you guys keep meeting or even have the nicest building or the, the best building or the biggest building or the most people just as long as God is not honored and glorified and that the church is not advancing forward. I want you to know the Bible tells us very clear and plain that Jesus says that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Let me ask you this. Do gates move forward? No, gates sit still, don't they? Right? Gates are, are right there. So what does that mean? Does that mean that you and I are in the defensive position? No, it means that the church of God is in the offense. It means that the church of God is to be advancing and marching militantly and triumphantly forward for the cause of Christ. That means you, dear believer, you, dear saint, who has struggled with, with depression or discouragement or, or trials in the storms of life, it is you who are called to keep moving forward. You might move an inch, but that's an inch that the devil don't got. You might move one footstep, but that's a footstep that didn't get driven backwards by the enemy. Keep pressing forward. You are not done until you're done. And you're not done until you're dead. And last I looked, y'all ain't dead. If you are, just throw your hand up so we know. We'll come, all right, we'll help you out. We'll get you through this. As we look here, this is a, a difficult thing because this means we're going to have some trials, we're going to have some battles, and, and we've got to have some courage to do it. I want to quote from you one of my favorite theologians. All right, This is a man named John Wayne, <laughs> the Duke, who said courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. I want you to know, church, now is not the time to quit. Now is not the time to be discouraged. Now is not the time to throw in the towel. Now is the time to saddle up and to ride on. And as a matter of fact, it's not even, for those senior saints, it's not time to just ride off into the sunset and not get anything else done. Right now it's time to lead the rest of us on the way on what it means to advance the cause of Christ, what it means to make disciples, what it means to be a disciple. Now is not the time for riding off in the sunset. Right now is the time for riding up and giddy up and to take charge and to uh, fight the enemy. And I want you to know that the enemy is not just the world, and it's not even just your flesh, and it's not even just the devil. The, the enemy at times is seen by all these outward things, but the enemy of the church is often the enemy that is unseen. That's what we're going to see today here. I want us to first of all understand that we've got to persevere through a lot of things. And throughout the book of Nehemiah, there's many things that they've got to persevere through. The fact that the walls are down and burned with fire. And now what we're going to see today is that there's going to be opposition coming. 
And all of us last week, as a matter of fact, there was a, a whole slew of you that came up and said, I want to rise up and build. I want to commit my life and commit to this church and commit to what God's doing here. I want to commit to that prayer initiative. I want to commit to praying every day or these times and praying for God's people, praying for these families, praying for our community, praying for the future of whatever that looks like and, and what God's doing and what God's going to do. But now's the time where the opposition comes. Here's where the rubber meets the road. You see, first of all, the opposition is introduced in verse number 10. Sanballat, Tobiah, and we're going to see later on Geshem, but pretty much all throughout Nehemiah, what you're going to find is things are going good. And then it says, but Sanballat and Tobiah, there's never that many who are in opposition to what God is doing, but boy, are they always the loudest. They are the squeakiest of wheels. Y'all know this, right? Y'all know what a squeaky wheel sounds like. You go to Walmart. If you go to Walmart, you've got four wheels on that buggy. And it's called a buggy, not a cart, right? <laughs> right? You get the buggy, and you start bugging around the store, and you notice something. Three of them wheels always work good, but one of them, or it seizes up, and you've got to do a left turn throughout the whole store just to get anywhere. That's what these people are. You see, Sanballat and Tobiah, they honestly and truly, in their heart of hearts, do not actually care about the church. They don't care about Israel here. They don't care about what God is going to do. They just know that they want to keep their power, their position, their name, and they want to get the credit for whatever takes place, but they're not going to lift a finger to do it. They're going to be the ones, well, someone's got to supervise. Right? These are the ones who are going to cause some serious issues. Now, once you know, first of all, these are not allegorical figures of opposition here. These are not allegories of, of the devil here. These are very real people in Nehemiah's life. As a matter of fact, they're literal historical figures who were leaders, and each one of these men, uh, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, all have archaeological evidence that shows and dates to the same time of the writings and the, and the historical um, uh, time of Nehemiah that all shows writings of these people were in existence and they were rulers. So these are real people. And they're very much in charge, and they like being in charge. As a matter of fact, I would say to the leader who likes to lead or likes to be in charge, you should probably stop it. If, if us who like to lead, mind you, we shouldn't. Why? Because it's a scary thing. But they're all about it. The ones who are the ones who normally volunteer and say, I'll take charge, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do that. Watch out. Because normally it's their heart that they're trying to advance. Normally it's their motives that they're trying to advance, not the things of God. Nehemiah doesn't come in and say, listen here, folks, I'm Nehemiah, and I'm going to take care of you now. I'm in charge. Now there's a new sheriff in town. Instead, Nehemiah comes, and as we talked about last week, he doesn't do a thing for three days. He goes in the night where no one sees, not because he's doing any sort of secretive, sinful thing, but rather because he knows that there's a Sanballat and a Tobiah and a whole slew of elders who really don't want him there because they're content with how things are going. But he has a call upon his life, and he must come. Now these opposition these folks that come in, notice what it says about them in verse number 10. They hear of it and they are grieved. It grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. That is incredibly telling. Right? They don't want to be led. They want to be the leaders. And really, they don't want to be leaders. They want to be managers and oppressors. They want to keep their thumb on, on everything. They want to be in charge and they've got to be in charge. They've got to keep their power. They've got to keep their prestige. They don't want their rule or their authority to be questioned after the examination of the situation that the people were in. They didn't want to hear Nehemiah say, hey, fellas, you're not doing too hot of a job, so the king's sitting here, and as a matter of fact, God's sitting here to take care of stuff. But they didn't want that. 
You see, these leaders, these people like Sanballat and Tobiah, they are narcissistic in the way that they live their life. I want to give you a couple things about that. The way that they work is this. And mind you, there's plenty of Sanballats and Tobias in our churches today. Far more than need to be. And to the Sanballat and Tobiah that might be here, I would tell you this. One, I want you to repent. God wants you to repent. God wants you to get your heart right. But if not, then ride on somewhere else. Because this church is going to move forward, and we don't need a Sanballat and Tobiah to try to hinder what God is doing. Matter of fact, I want you on the team. I want you to be a part of this. That's the invitation of last week. That's the invitation this week, and, and so on and so forth. That's the invitation every week. Just come and be a part of Christ and what he's doing. But I want you to know we don't have no room for those who are going to tell us what they think God is doing when God's not doing it that way. We don't have room for narcissists. We don't have room for those who are seeking their own advantage or seeking their own cause. We've got plenty of room for those who are seeking Christ, though. Here, a couple things about them is, one, in their eyes, they are never wrong. A narcissist will never, ever, 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 ever be wrong. Nor can a narcissist ever, ever, ever be questioned. And here, as they know Nehemiah is coming, they know very much so that he's coming and he means business. Nehemiah didn't come to play uh, Jacks and Uno with him. He didn't come to play baseball with him. He come to do business. He come to do the business of God. He came to rebuild what has been broken. And, and they are exceedingly grieved and upset over this because they truly in their heart don't want the city rebuilt. They don't want the people to prosper. They want the people to stay oppressed. Furthermore, they also don't mind though these same Sanbats and Tobias. They don't mind that the temple is built. They just don't want the walls built. They don't want any more advancement to take place. They're fine with the church building, if you will. As a matter of fact, every same about Tobiah of every church that there is cares much more about the building than they do about the advancement of God's kingdom. They care more, much more about the church, but they don't really care as much about Christ. I want you to know you're not going to love the church unless you first love Christ because it's Christ's church. He bought it. He builds it. It belongs to him. It's his. It's not my church, not your church, right? It's not victory. This is the church of Christ. It belongs to him. It is his blood that was shed to pay the price for our sins. It was his blood that has bought us and redeemed us. It is his blood that we belong to. It is his banner that we lift high. And now these folks, they loved and had no, no, no problem whatsoever that the people went through their little sacrificial temple and they can go along, but they want them to stay oppressed. They don't want the walls, but they don't want anything further taking place. They're fine with the superficial. God isn't, though. God never says that he accepts superficial worship, nor desires superficial Christians, nor desires, because we know what that is. It's not a real Christian. It's a half-hearted, and to have a half a heart is not to have heart at all. God is all or nothing. And here, Nehemiah, when the people have just said in verse 18, hey, we're going to rise up and build. And they straighten their hands. Look at this, the response to God's hand upon Nehemiah. He tells me, he says, the hand of God's upon me. The hand of God's upon this city. The hand of God is upon these people. And they say, well, yep, sure is. Let us rise up and build. They're united. They're unified together for this cause. And they strengthen their hands for this good work. They say, let us rise up. Let us build up. And they are strengthened, and they are strengthened by God and what God is doing through Nehemiah, what God is doing in their own hearts. And they begin to strengthen their own hands. They take the personal responsibility of participating in this good work. 
Alan Redpath tells us, there is no winning without warfare. There is no opportunity without opposition. There is no victory without vigilance. For whenever the people of God say, let us arise and build, Satan says, let me arise and oppose. Last Sunday night, Stephen led our our Sunday night uh, music and got up and said, how many of y'all have already experienced the sandbats and the tapayas, <laughs> right, that we just talked about? And it was like, yep. And if you haven't, you probably have at some point this week, haven't you? As a matter of fact, if you haven't this week, get ready for next week. Because the more we talk about spiritual warfare, the more we understand that it's there. The more we talk about the opposition that is there and is coming as God is working and God is building, the more that we see, here it is. The more we understand that there is very much a force and an enemy that is against God's people. And unfortunately, sometimes it is those who claim to be God's people that are against God's people. The opposition, their response, <coughs> look at verse 19. But when Sanbalt the Horonite and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing that you do? Will ye rebel against the king? Well, they come and they, they hear the people say, let us rise up and build. And to them, it sounds like a mediocre crowd. To them, it sounds like nobody. To them, it sounds like a bunch of people who aren't going to do a thing. They're already bringing about this despising of not just Nehemiah, but they despise the people. And ultimately, in doing so, they actually despise God. To despise the church of God and the work that God does in the church is to despise God himself. It means that you want to be God. It means that you want to be in charge. It means you think that this church belongs to you, and it don't. Because it don't belong to anybody that's here alive and breathing. It's simply Christ. And when we get a hold of that, and we understand, as Nehemiah and the people did, that the, the people belong to God. This project belongs to God. This place belongs to God. That the opposition then has no right to hinder what God is doing in those places and through those people. Nehemiah's response here to them, he says, Then answered I them and said to them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. I love that. And all throughout the book of Nehemiah, he continuously rebuts the enemy, not by going in and in a boo-boo, but by telling them, look at who God is and look at what God's going to do. He says, hey, don't look at what I'm going to do. Look at what God's doing. Look at what God's going to do. He says, just you sit back and you wait, you watch. God's going to prove you wrong. Every true prophet of God in the Old Testament at times had this moment where they would say to the enemy, who were the naysayers, the doubters, the unbelievers, and say, just you watch, I know God. I know what God's going to do. I'm trusting in God. Why? Because as the Bible tells us, unless God built it, it won't get built. And this is, of course, dealing with so much and so much depth. Your own personal life, your own heart, your own home. Even this church today, the same with the walls there in Jerusalem that were burned down and broken down. Nehemiah knows, I'm not going to get it done myself. Even the people themselves can't get it done because they've had 100 years with it lying waste and they tried already. But opposition came during Ezra's day. And guess what? They stopped. And so he says, if it's going to happen, God's going to do it. Why? Because when God builds something, he does it for his name's sake and his glory's sake. And when we get a hold of that, that it's not about you, it's not about me, and it's not even about our church sign, that it's about God, then boy does he take over, and boy do great things happen. And I promise you this, that great things do happen if we would simply have the eyes to look and to see. 
Sanballat, Tobiah, and the rest, all throughout the rest of the book, they're only going to be see, able to see the bad. They're only going to see the negative. They're only going to see, well, this isn't how it used to be, or this isn't how I think it should be. It's not about what I think it should be. It's not about what it used to be. It's about what God says it is and what God says it will be. It is about what God is doing here, and God is about to continue to do great things. Just over then in chapter 3, the building begins, and Nehemiah had been praying for months. The people now at this point, I believe, are now praying, and they've planned, and now the plan is going into action. You can read chapter 3, and you can see all these different people who are coming together to rise up and build. Why? Because long before they ever picked up a shovel or picked up a hammer or, or laid a brick, they had been on their knees praying. They had decided in their hearts that we will together rise up and build. They had strengthened their hands, not just physically. They weren't just talking about, let's, let's stretch a little bit before we get to this work here, right? No, they're talking about this strengthen of everything. The hands is a, it's this sort of metaphor for their whole being has been strengthened. They're strengthened the fact that God is for them. Who can be against them? They're strengthened the fact that there is now a leadership and a plan and that they are moving forward and that the walls will be built. Why? Because God said they will be. And so because of that, their hands are strong. Unfortunately, today we've got so many churches and so many people who've been in church and have known Christ for so long whose hands have grown weak, whose faith has grown frail because we have stopped trusting in the promise and the presence of who God is and what God says and what God does for His people. We're not called to be weak and frail. We're called to have our hands strengthened to do this good work. And the work is a good work. But it takes some perseverance. You read chapter 3 and they're building and things are going well, but over starting in chapter 4, we've got to persevere through being discouraged. It doesn't take long that the work starts that discouragement comes. But here's the issue. If you don't take care of discouragement right now, discouragement will become uh, distractions and it will become depression and it will leave you helpless and it will leave you frozen and in a state of fear thinking that the enemy is going to win, the enemy is already won, and there's no point in building anymore. That had happened to the people already, but not this time. Look at chapter 4. Verse number one says, but it came to pass, and you can mark it all throughout Nehemiah pretty much. Anytime it says, but, step in with Tobiah and Sanballat coming in to, to try to ruin the, the day. Trying to bring about some sort of issue or opposition. That's what happens. Matter of fact, you and I have seen it all throughout our church life, throughout our Christian life. Things are going good, but so-and-so, the so-and-so, does so-and-so. And we often let that squeaky wheel determine what, where the rest of the wheels go. I, it don't matter what this wheel that squeaks says, nor does it even matter what the other three wheels that don't squeak says. The wheels aren't going to determine where this buggy's going. As a matter of fact, the buggies left to themselves, they're just going to sit. Someone's got to grab that buggy and drive that thing, don't they? They're the ones that got to determine where that goes. And I want you to know, it's not you or me. It's God. Well, look at this. It says, Sinbout heard that we builded the wall, meaning in the process of we're building it. It's getting built up. And look at his response. He says, that's a nice wall. No, we don't. He says he was wroth. And he took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end 
in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. They did bring about discouragement by saying, Look how weak and feeble you are. This wall, a fox could jump on it and make the whole thing crumble. He said, it's nothing. It's futile. It's fruitless. Quit your work while you're ahead. Boy, the devil says that a lot, don't he? Boy, the Sanbouts and Tobias of churches say that a lot, don't they? But look at what happens. I love what Nehemiah does here. Verse number four. Hear, O our God. Praise. He doesn't holler back at him. Right? Now, Sanbout and Tobiah, if they said this sort of stuff around here in Carroll County, they'd probably get a fat lip, wouldn't they? Right? Let's just be honest. They'd get socked right in their mouth. And some people need a good sock in the mouth. All right? Y- y'all can be real enough, I hope. But Nehemiah and the people don't do such. Instead, what they do is they return back to the same thing that had got them there in the first place, and that was prayer. Nehemiah doesn't ball up his fist. He bows his knee. He bows his knee and he lets the enemy talk, lets the enemy blabber, because the enemy is full of words, but he's not full of work. The enemy is full of of all sorts of excuses and all sorts of discouraging thoughts, but he's got no faith in him and he's got nothing in him that that God desires. He says, Hero, our God, though we are despised, turn their reproach upon their own head. Give them for a prey in the land of captivity. Boy, what a prayer. And cover, cover not their iniquity. Let not their sin be blotted out from before thee, for they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. You see, they weren't trying to discourage and despise just the people of God. They were trying to discourage and despise God and what He was doing. People that don't want progress in church and growth in church and, and soul saved and things done in a godly and a healthy manner, they don't want it, not because they don't like the preacher, they don't like the people other it's really because they want God to do what, what they want. We don't like to boil it down that way, but that's the real reality of most of our, our issues. In verse 6, though, we move on and there's this distraction that then comes. They, they pray and look at this. They, they have this mind to work in verse number 6. So built we the wall, and all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. The people didn't have a mind to listen to Sanbat and that they, they tuned their ears out to what the squeaky wheel had to say. And instead, they listened to what God had to say. And they listened to what God had commanded. And in so doing, they were strengthened and they had a mind to work. But before we get a mind to work, and before we start seeing bricks being laid and walls being built, it's going to be because we are persevering in prayer. As Nehemiah will do, and as the people will do time and time again throughout the rest of this book, opposition comes, Pray. Everything's going good. Hey, well, good time to pray. Pray, pray, pray. Continue to seek the face and the hand of God upon our lives. Here, from verse number 7, all throughout uh, chapter 6, there's going to be several things that uh, are being brought as distractions to the people. (coughs) Verse number 7 tells us this. But it came to pass... That when Sambat and Tobiah, the Arabians, and the Ammonites, and the Ashadites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were made up and that the breaches began to be stopped, they were very wroth. 
and conspired all of them together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to hinder it. There are those who will always try to hinder what God is doing. Always. As we can see, as we're trying to take a step or two forward for God, there's always someone trying to push us a couple steps back. There will always be someone or something to try to uh, lay a trap or lay a snare or to bring about a distraction or discouragement uh, to, to keep us from pressing forward. But we are called to keep pressing forward. Look at verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. They respond with prayer and with action. It is one thing to keep praying. It's another thing to pray and to get to work. It's one thing to pray about doing something, and it's another thing to pray and do something. I want you to know that your prayer life should be very well active. It should not just be tossing up Hail Marys to to God and going, hope he answers, hope he answers, hope he answers. It's praying and praying and praying and working and working and working and and, and trusting that God is going to bless, that God is going to do a work. Prayer itself even is an action that God calls us to. God doesn't call us necessarily to be these sort of lethargic or slothful believers who just sit around and go, well, I'll just wait and see what happens. No, He calls us to pray, and He calls us then to press on. We have some responsibility on our part to do. And so the part of the plan is they set a watch against day and night because of Him. And, and, and they, uh, they begin this watch, and they're uh, prepared for the battle if it comes, physically speaking. But they're prepared physically for the battle because they're spiritually prepared for the battle. I believe that you and I get waylaid by the opposition of the devil in our churches because we are not spiritually prepared for it to come. It catches us off guard, but I want you to know, if you truly love the Lord, if you truly desire great things of God, opposition will come, so don't be surprised by it. Rather, know this, that when it comes, it sure must mean that God is working and that you are falling and trusting the Lord. The devil's not going to battle something not worth battling. The Sambouts and Tobias aren't going to be uh, trying to battle, discourage, or to hinder something that's not worth hindering, that uh, they don't think is, is, is worth it. And look, though, as we continue on, we say uh, in verse 14, he looked up and he rose up and said to the nobles and the rulers and the rest of the people, Be not ye afraid of them. Remember the Lord, which is great and terrible, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it came to pass when our enemies heard that it was known unto us and God had brought their counsel to naught, that we returned all of us to the wall, everyone to his work. It says, And it came to pass that the time forth that half my servants wrought in the work, and the other half of them held both the spears, the shields, and the bows, and the harbingers, and the rulers were, were behind all the house of Judah. Verse 17, And everyone with one of his hands wrought in the work, and with the other hand held a weapon. That's what we need, isn't it? it we need not just folks who are willing to work, but even willing to fight, and not fight with each other, mind you. Not fight each other, but to fight for each other. Look at what he said in verse 14. He tells us to pray and remember God's plan. And that we're not called to, to be drawn up by some sort of unnecessary conflict, but if it comes, that we're to be willing to fight for the faith and for the family of God. Look, he says, fight for your brethren, not fight your brethren. He says, fight for your brethren, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, for your houses. I want you to know this. If you've got any sort of cause or any sort of reason besides the glory of God to do this good work of seeing God bring about revival and seeing God rebuild what has been broken, it's going to be. If there's any other reason besides the glory of God, 
It would be because you get a burden and desire to fight for your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your brothers, your sisters, your brethren. Fight for one another. It's been said by many who have fought in battle in wars that in the moment, they're not fighting for the folks at home. They're fighting for the one that's next to them. I want you to know this, in this spiritual battle, you and I are called and, and should be desiring to fight not just for ourselves, but for those around us, for the rest of the church, because as you go, so go the rest of us. If the, there's no such thing as a strong church because there's just a couple of strong Christians. The strong church is made up of other strong Christians, and that's what we need to be willing to rise up. Then chapter 5 comes. They then get distracted by the circumstances. They are uh, having poverty and, and famine and things are going good, so hard times fall on the people physically and emotionally, financially. It brings a toll to see this. It's a part of the opposition. It's a part of the fight, but it will be worth it. Nehemiah brings about the needed reforms and relief for the people, and they're glad, and the work continues. Then over in chapter 6, Distracted by these fake friends in verse 1 through 8, we see they come and they, they uh, try to draw out Nehemiah and they say in verse number 3, he says, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it? And yet they sent unto me four times after the sword. I answered them after the same manner. Once you know the opposition, you can tell it, the opposition no once. He'll come again a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And he's going to keep on going. He's going to keep on nagging you. He's going to keep on whispering lies. He's going to keep on bringing about discouragement. But we are called not to leave and to listen to what he's got to say or to give him the time of day, but rather to simply obey God and to say, I don't have time for your shenanigans. I got time for it. Boy, people get all sorts of riled up if someone has an issue that is unbiblical and illegitimate, and they get told, I'm sorry, I just don't have time for that. We get all sorts of upset at that. Why? Because we want to be justified in the way that we feel, but guess what? We don't have time for that. What we've got time for is what God desires. What we've got time for is for this work of God, prayerfully seeking Him, and, and then we've moved down. They've stop the, the whole uh, let's try to distract him thing and they go, well, let's bring about some more discouragement. Let's, let's bring about to try to discredit old Nehemiah's name. Let's try to discredit that church. Let's try to discredit those people. If it's not going to work this way, we'll try another way because that's what the opposition does. And they lie about Nehemiah and it says, verse number 9, they all made us afraid saying that their hands shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. Over and over and over again, you and I will have to return back to what has brought us here and what will keep us persevering. The only way that you and I will persevere in our Christian walk, in our Christian life, is through persistent, persevering, powerful prayer. We've got to pray. Even when we don't feel like it, pray. When you do feel like it, pray. When it's easy to pray, pray. When it's hard to pray, pray for strength through it. Much of my prayer life seems to be, God, help me, I'm distracted. God, help me to pray. God, help me to pray. Help me to pray. And God does. And God answers. And he cries out to the Lord, strengthen my hands. False prophets had hired to have Nehemiah break the word of God by entering into the temple throughout the rest of this chapter here. Nehemiah prays and obeys God alone. And now we get to verse number 15. 
15 down through 19, they try to deter the work some more, trying the same stuff that they've always tried. But look at verse 15. So the wall was finished. In the 20th and 5th day of the month, Elu, in 50 and 2 days. 52 days to build the wall. The people were strengthened. But God wasn't done. <coughs> Just a couple chapters, revival breaks loose. The, the, the people return to the Word of God. The people shout and rejoice and repent and weep. And, and, and the true spiritual revival takes place as it hadn't before. Before we get to that point, the wall gets built. Meaning this, that the work isn't done just because we set a timetable and go, hey, this is it. We might have been calling <clears throat> for ourselves, hey, 52 days of prayer, Victory Way Baptist Church. But guess what? Come day 53, we still need that prayer. Come day 54, come day 375, come three years from now, we still need the prayer. We still need the persistence. We still need to keep persevering. Why? Because it's only just begun. We're not done until God calls us out of here. And until then, we need to keep on trucking. Keep on moving. But in those 52 days, the walls rebuilt and revival's on the way and God's people have persevered and they were prospered. I want to share with you a couple of verses today. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 tells us this. Being confident this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you have been saved any length of time, you know this, that the devil is seeking to distract you and to destroy you. He is seeking to discourage you and bring about depression. Why? Because he wants to just immobilize you. He's fine. Okay, you're saved. I can't take that away, but I can keep you from living for the Lord. I can keep you so distracted or so down that, that you stop caring about church or you stop, uh, you stop being, uh, thinking that you can be used of God anymore. You, you put your own self on the shelf. I want you to know God's not done. As a matter of fact, if God has begun that work of saving you, He's going to complete that work of seeing us delivered from this world, of seeing us delivered from this sin, seeing us delivered from this depression, seeing us delivered from these enemies and opposition that have come against us day in and day out. If God has begun it. He will complete it. Why? Because the work that is in us is the work of God. The work of revival is not the work of an evangelist or a preacher. It's not the work of singers. It is the work of God. The work of rebuilding a church, rebuilding homes, rebuilding hearts, rebuilding lives, rebuilding marriages, rebuilding joy. It is not my work or even your work. It is the work of God. And if He begins it, He will see it through. Dear believer, Christ will see you through. Christ is enough. Over in Hebrews chapter 12. <coughs> Hebrews chapter 12 comes right after Hebrews 11, the hall of faith chapter where name by name, person by person, by faith, by faith, these men and women of God persevere to the glory of God and do great and mighty things. And they're named in the Bible as those who are faithful. You and I will never be put in the Bible. The Bible's done. But I sometimes wonder, if your name was known for something, would it be known in the Hall of Faith 
as one who did great things for God by faith? Or would you be known as the but Sanballat and Tobiah rose up? I'm afraid that if we were to look at many church histories, many church logs, and even our own accounts of our own lives, far too often we get put on the wrong side because we choose to be. If I were to be named in the Bible, certainly we'd want a good one, wouldn't we? You know something? I believe the, the trick and the key is not worrying about trying to be put in the Bible because the Bible's done. It's not even about trying to have God love me more because He already loves me more than anybody. I can't take that away, make Him love me more, or even make Him love me less. But I certainly want to be used of Him. I don't want it to be said that I hindered the hand of God in a church or in my own heart or home because I was stubborn hard-headed or unwilling to change or unwilling to work with, with what God had called me to do or what God was doing through me. And the way that we persevere is not going to be by looking to others. Not even going to be by looking at Hebrews 11. It's going to be by looking at Hebrews 12, chapter 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. Dear Christian, that is wearied and faint in your mind right now, I want you to stop looking at what you've done. Stop looking at what the enemy has done. Stop looking at the opposition. Stop looking at the ground lost. Stop looking at the time wasted. Stop looking at the, the loss you've experienced. It, it just stop. And look to Jesus. Amen. Believe most of our problems. Amen. Believe most of our problems will be found. Solved. If we would look to Christ. I believe every distraction that we've got is because we're not looking to Jesus. I believe every discouraging thought you've got it's because we have listened to the enemy and not to Jesus. It's because we have seen what the devil has put in our eyes or what the Sanbout and Tobiah has said about our church or about our hearts or about our past or about who we used to be or what we could be like. And we've listened and looked at that, but it would all be over if we would just simply look to Jesus. A church that looks to Jesus and listens to Jesus ain't going to worry about a Sanbout and Tobiah. It's going to be worried about Christ and Christ alone. If your life right now feels like it's in shambles, like it's in the walls of Jerusalem at this time, I want you to know it doesn't have to be. And it might take more than 52 days to rebuild that sucker back up, but right now the first step is this, getting a hold of looking to Christ. Why? Because if you need help persevering in this life, look to Jesus. From the moment He entered into this world, that the devil was against Him and trying to stop Him from being even alive, let alone growing up. Everything that the devil did, everything that the world did, tried to keep Jesus from getting to the place that He was meant to go, and that was the cross. And He endured that cross. Some would say, no, it wasn't, but so bad. It was a quick death. No, it was a long, grueling, and painful. And the 30 couple years to get there, I believe, were long and grueling and painful as well. As He was despised and rejected of His men. He came into His own, and His own received Him not. Jesus knows what it means to be despised. He knows what it means to face opposition more than anybody. He knows what it's like to literally have the gates of hell against you because they were there the night of his betrayal. They're literally praying and crying. Great drops of blood 
coming down. The weight of sin about to be placed upon him. The devil trying to get him to, to quit. The, the, the enemy trying to keep him from that cross, but he must go. And he endured. Endured it. At any time. He could have ended it all, but he endured it. Why? Because he loves you. And he loves his church of which he bled and died, of which he bought and paid for, of which he builds still today. Look to Christ for endurance. Look to Christ who is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want you to know, it's not your job or my job to reach a certain age and then to sit down. No. No. Your bones and your mind and your, your heart might even face so much opposition that you're tired and weary, but look to Christ and keep going. It ain't time to sit down until we reach heaven. And then guess what? We got some praising to do. We got some work to do for the Lord, and we're going to do so purely and perfectly and, and, and glorify Him forever. Don't sit down on God. Don't sit down on God, dear believer. If you've got a gift for God, if you've got a, a burden from God like Nehemiah did, like the people did, I want you to, now's not the time to sit, now's the time to rise up and build. Right now is the time to, to look to Christ and to persevere through this. I want you to know that long before we even get to the start of the new year, long before we even get to the end of this prayer initiative, that the opposition will be so strong that we want to go just, why, why do we keep going? Why bother? Because Jesus is enough. Jesus, who is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before Him, endured that cross. So dear church of God, endure. And keep persevering. Dear Tobiah and Sanballat, look to Christ today and have that heart broken. Be changed. Be born again. Be saved today. Repent of your sins and trust Christ and, and know the joy that we've got. Know the joy of which the Lord went into to sit down at the right hand of God. He says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weird and faint in your minds. Once you know this, you might feel the weakest you have ever felt in your Christian life right now. You've come to the right place. Look to Jesus and live. Look to Jesus and have that joy return. Have those chains broken. Have your life transformed to the glory of God. Lose the weariness. Lose the faint hands and heart. And I promise you this, the more that you look to Jesus, the more strength that you will have. Strength to persevere and to keep going. Many of us, though, fail at this because we don't persevere because we're trusting in our own strength on our own good works, or our own ability. And I want you to know, we won't make it to next Sunday without God. We won't make it to the end of this service without God. Look to Jesus, church, and persevere. No matter what a Tobiah or a sand ballot might bring, no matter if there's hunger or famine or thirst, no matter what anyone says against you or against the cause of Christ, persevere. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is enough. Jesus will strengthen our hands for this good work. Let's all stand this morning.
as you come to this time for an invitation, this altar is going to be open. Even before the piano plays, if you've got a need, first of all, if you need Christ, if you need forgiveness of sins, come and let me take the Bible and show you Jesus, you can be saved. But if you are saved today and, and you're struggling, if you've got that depression, if you've got uh, these issues in your heart, if you've got whatever it is you're struggling with right now, come and look to Christ. Persevere. God will strengthen our hands. God will see us through. This altar's open. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for the worship here today, for your words that you've given to us, for the conviction, for the encouragement you've given. God, I pray that you would be with these dear people today. Help their hearts, fill them, strengthen them, Lord, that we would see this good work come to pass. Lord, help us to trust in you, to follow you through it all. We love you and we thank you because you first loved us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. something about that name there's none other name whereby we must be saved Acts 4.12 that's Jesus Jesus Jesus